I will tackle two very interesting questions from you, the listener. We will also tackle people protesting at Clemson University that tampons have been removed from the men's bathroom on the Corey Truax Show. I said what I said. A smattering of a couple dozen, few dozen epithets. I'm not using a, any kind of derogatory language. You can just put put in whatever noun you want there. A few dozen peoples gathered at Clemson University, their students there, to protest that the tampons have been removed from the men's room because that does not affirm all the men who have periods. And that happened at Clemson University in the upstate of South Carolina. I have some things I want to share with you about that and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. We will get started in just a moment, but as is tradition, I just want to tell you who I am. I get to serve the awesome people. Truly, I'm, I say that every week, and every week I mean it more. Just the tremendous, phenomenal people that make up Beachwood Church. I love those folks. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You're invited. We'd love to have you out. Love what the Lord is doing there from Sunday to Sunday and all the ministries we do in between. Sunday mornings, 1030, Beachwood Church. You can Google us. You'll find us there. It'll be a good time. Two questions, both from people named Andy. One I know personally, one I don't know. One question from Andy I thought was clever, and it was a good challenge to me. He says, you keep saying, when the world falls apart, Christians need to be there with answers. So as I've entered into this new world of thinking that, yeah, Christians should pursue Christian things. We should want Christian things to happen and Christian laws to be implemented. That's what we should want. We should, our, we should want our workplaces to reflect Christian values. I've said that. I, I have expressed a post-millennialism that I believe that's going to happen over, over centuries. And I keep saying the world's going to fall apart. I have been saying this a good bit. When the world falls apart, we just need to be ready. We need to be ready with answers when they don't know what when, they, when their systems fall apart and they don't know what to do in the wreckage. And Andy's question is, that's vague. What do you mean? Are we talking about societal collapse? That was actually his phrasing. Are we talking about societal collapse? No, I don't mean that. So let me put some real concrete definitions to what I mean when I say, when the world falls apart. I don't mean violence in the streets, cats and dogs getting married, like that kind of chaos. I just mean various calamities to chaoses that will happen at varying degrees. Here are examples. Right now, I would say that the modern West, us, Western Europe, our understanding of the relationship between a man and a woman has collapsed. It's not in collapse, it has collapsed. We don't know what it is to be a masculine man or a feminine woman, and it's made people miserable. Women are, from all the survey data, very unsatisfied. You know, the, uh, the survey data shows that 40 years ago, a woman was concerned that she would not be able to attract one of the very eligible and good men that she saw as suitors. Now, women are saying, I'm not afraid that I can't attract a suitor. I'm afraid not a single one of them is worth it. Not that I can't attract the worthwhile ones. That the, the worry for a woman now is they do not exist. There aren't men that are worthy or quality enough to just build a life with. I don't even think these women are looking for superheroes. 
They're just looking for men with some competence who grow up, act like men, dress like men, talk like men, want to tackle man things and not be adolescent boys. And so I feel it for for ladies. That, that's their biggest survey data says that's what women struggle with. They don't worry about attracting people anymore. They worry that the people they attract will be worth it. Come on. Of course it's, it's collapsed. Women are afraid they're not going to have a man worth having. Men have grown disinterested. The whole thing seems so fraught and risky for men. They're just, they are disinterested. And so what, it's, what has come up? It has been people like uh, Andrew Tate to talk about masculinity. It's been people like Pearl, I forgot her last name, Pearl Davis maybe? She's a woman probably 10, 11 younger, years younger than I am. I think with a great deal of lack of wisdom, talking about her, her more traditional femininity, and she's right about all of that, but she lacks wisdom on how she talks about masculinity and the relationship between men and, men and women. It has popped up in the... Uh, I, I've never actually seen an episode of it, but I've seen the very viral clips of that podcast called... Is it called Whatever? The Whatever Podcast? I think that's what it's called. Often they'll have just young, young men and young women on there. Talk about their relationships. There, it, it's it has it has risen that that collapse has happened so obviously that now the social science, the pop culture is all saying yes, it's broken. I have noticed in conversations with various and sundry people, Christians I know, that will talk to people at work about how bad the situation is, just trying to find a mate. And so what I'm saying is the relationship between men and women has so collapsed. People want an answer, and I'm saying at work, in your family, on my show, we are there to say, oh, I know the way. Oh, you're looking to, to pair up and to do what you've been called to do, even though you may not even know you've been called to do it, but there is something written on your heart, the law of God is written on our hearts, to find a man, to find a wife, and to multiply, fill the earth, to fulfill your fatherly and motherly instincts. You you want a way to do that? I got the way for you. Come on to church with me, and we will show you men how to be men, ladies how to be ladies, and then how to find one another, treat each other. That, that's all I'm saying. That's not, I think we've ha- it has collapsed, and we need to be there with an answer. I'll give you a couple other examples. It's, it would be way dramatic to say Disney is in collapse. But Disney's share price is one half what it was a little bit over a year ago. And it's, it is largely because they, they chose secular progressive activism over good entertainment. Now, I, I want to be fair. A big part of what happened to Disney is the Marvel Cinematic Universe ended and Star Wars ended about the same time. Within a couple years of each other, those gigantic, multi-billion dollar, hundreds of billions of dollars franchises came to an end. And you can put all you want on Disney Plus with The Mandalorian and uh, Hawkeye and WandaVision. You can do your spinoffs on Disney Plus. They are nothing like what a one, or excuse me, hundred billion dollar franchise is. And to lose two billion, or excuse me, multi-billion dollar franchises in a series of years because the story arcs came to an end, that's going to affect Disney. I wish people like me would would just at least say that and quit acting like, Disney went woke, so they went broke. Well, that's part of it. There's a huge story here, though. It's a lot of factors. 
But an, another big arm for Disney that made a lot of money was Pixar. Pixar was one of their most lucrative properties. And then they go out and make secular progressive garbage, like the Lightyear one that flops. They still spend hundreds of million dollars to make them, but then make no money on them because no one wants to see it. They make something of a little bit more traditional value, like in Canto. It goes nuts on Disney+, Plus. does quite well make some good money, but it was never in the theaters to put on all the big money. Disney, like for if we had people in the right places, if we had Christians that permeated the entertainment world, when they start asking, hey, how did our share price plummet half by half its value in a little bit over a year? It'd be great to have a Christian in the room to go, I think people want wholesome content. And at, you know, at this point in the culture, maybe it's not Christian content, but just wholesomeness. We don't want you to tell us about your sexual ethics and children's content. We actually don't want any sexual content in our children's content. I, Disney's not in collapse, but in this minor sense, there's a, it's in a crisis moment, and we're, I'm saying, yeah, Christians need to be there to speak into it. In my lifetime, third, third example, we are going to come to the inflection point of Social Security's collapse. When we started it, I think it was 47, 47 working people of working age for every one recipient. We are now at less than three people working for every one person receiving. In my lifetime, there will be more people in the country of retirement age than there are of working age. That's what happens when you don't have kids. Unless we have mass migration and immigration from other countries, we will be a very elderly country. There will be many more, there will be millions, probably not tens of millions, there will be millions more people between the ages of 65 and 90 than there will be people between the ages of 18 and 65. That's where we're headed. And when that happens, it will collapse. Social Security cannot cannot do that. You can't have one recipient for, for example, me, I can't support two elderly people. And me and my wife can't support three elderly people or four elderly people and ourselves. It's going to collapse. So when it does, I'm saying, the Christian thought has to be there. There should be Christians in strategic places to say, huh, that way of caring for the elderly didn't work. In the end, this thing that you thought was brilliant is probably going to last for about 100 years. That will be the the lifespan of Social Security. And we're going to need to be there with answers to say, here's a better way. To plan for the future, here's a different way to structure your the, the taxation situation where we're not just paying this much taxation to Social Security and instead incentivizing saving, even more saving than we incentivize investment so that we can take care of ourselves in old age and talk about families taking care of, of, of the older folks. It's going to collapse. Now, that's a calamity. It's not societal dissolving, but it's a chaos and a calamity that we need answers for. I'll give you two more, and one will be a transition story. We just found out that our education system now has six years in a row of decreasing ACT scores. We now have three years in a row of decreasing aptitude tests in just the basic stuff, reading, writing, math. The education system is in a mini chaos. I would argue it's heading towards a real serious inflection point where people ask, what happened like, we used to actually educate people pretty well, and we are just pushing kids into seventh grade. We just found out another study. 
pushing a gigantic group of kids into seventh grade who don't read at a fourth grade level. And we just keep just punching the card and sending them forward. So this made me pretty mad recently. John Oliver on HBO did like a, I don't know, it was like an hour-long screed against homeschooling. And I wanted to just say back to him, listen, there's some serious homeschooling problems. I've seen them. This is I have a unique perspective on this because I've been in higher education and I've worked with homeschoolers and public schoolers and Christian schoolers. And I can tell you that all three systems produce brilliant, awesome kids. And I can tell you that all three systems produce the opposite of that. And I don't want to say anything more mean than those words. But John Oliver's got a whole bunch of bad stuff to say about homeschoolers. How about you teach your 7th graders to read at 7th grade level and you come back and talk to me about homeschooling? How about that? How about you have a, a situation where your inner city schools, your, your big city centers, graduate students at 18 and 19 years old who don't read at 7th grade levels, we are finding. They can't do basic math. You go fix that. Come on back and talk to me about your homeschooling. But those things are in collapse. They're in calamity. They're in chaos. And when they do collapse and people are just starting to ask, well, what do we do? I'm saying the Christian has to be there to go, I know a way. Starts at home. You're you're always going to have a... This can, this can be overcome if you find yourself in the situation. Do not be discouraged by what I'm about to tell you. But you know, one of the things that I have to... Uh, I have to tell homeschool people who are so big on homeschooling all the time. And, and they try to argue to me how much better their homeschooling outcomes are. I have to explain to them, yes, your, your outcomes are better statistically. You know why? You have two parents. I've seen it over and over again. If you have two parents, two-parent households that are involved, and you send your kid to public school, two-parent household, you can send your kid to Christian school, two-parent household, you send your kid to homeschool, there's very little variance in academic achievement. Now, there's likely larger variance in spiritual maturity, growing up in the faith, and all of that. But academic achievement, here's the key that Christians are ready to say. Men, stop impregnating women that you don't intend to raise their, to marry that woman and raise their kids. Stop doing that. Ladies, Stop having kids with men that you don't want raising your kids. Stop it. You're ruining the kids. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop being selfish. Think about the kids that are going to be produced from the relationships you're in. Be kid-focused. Stop being so selfish. I got an answer for you. We'll fix your education system. We need two-parent households. So That's all I'm saying. It doesn't have to be societal collapse. It is the systems are breaking. Are the Christians there with some answers? And not just speaking them, but have run for school board. And are principals in those schools? That there are teachers there, that we have some, they're in the PTA, that for whatever reason, <laughs> Christians have decided to get into the bureaucracy of government and they're in the Social Security office or they're in Congress or something, so Social Security breaks apart. Our artists have made their way to Pixar and they're ready to talk to Disney about their, their problems. That's what I'm saying. When there's calamity, and crisis, the Christians are there. Speaking of. This is my, see how good of a broadcaster I am, transition. The university system is headed for calamity and collapse. I was just talking to uh, a friend of mine, uh, Logan, who also played incredible worship set at North Greenville University, where I work. Shout out to Logan. Talking about, uh, telling him about one of the things that gets talked about a ton in the higher education world where I work, and I have been working for 15 years now. Or I guess it's almost 16 years now. We've been talking about the demographic, the demographic cliff, cliff, demographic cliff. That in 2026, for the first time in American history, 
the high school graduating class will be smaller than the previous one. So we're going to peak in 2025 of number of people graduating high school. In the next year, 2026, it'll be smaller. 27 will be smaller than 26. 28 will be smaller than 27 because around 2004, 5, 6, it was right around there that we really did stop having kids at, at the level that we used to. And so colleges are in panic saying, well, if I used to get 1% of the high school graduating class nationally, and that was 1,000 incoming students, you're telling me that the next year, if I get the same market share, I still get 1% of the entire graduating class. My incoming class is only going to be 950 students. That's a major budget issue. And so the colleges are all freaked out. How many colleges can even stay open if the actual customer base is going down? This is where, again, we need to be there to talk about the to talk about our higher education system and what it's for and how it might be able to, to change and serve people. Because right now, often the education system wants to serve itself and not serve its, its students. Speaking of, something of that sort happened at a local university here. Clemson University is uh, the one of the two flagship colleges here in South Carolina. You guys don't need me, need me to explain that to you. Uh, but they recently, apparently, the uh, the university administration responded to some online complaint about putting tampons in the men's restroom because some men have periods. And so Clemson's administration realizes that's very stupid. We shouldn't do that. That's off-the-wall bonkers that we have tampons in men's bathrooms. And so they took them out, and then about, let's call it 50, it's probably a little less than that, activists decided to march, and they... Just, by the way, imagine the person that you think would march in that kind of rally. You don't even, you don't need the video. Just use your imagination. Imagine that look. You have it exactly correct. Whatever stereotype you have, it's exactly the right one. I'm going to play for you the story from the local CBS affiliate. I believe that is WSPA. As they covered the story, I'll stop and start along the way and we'll comment uh, with this win for sanity that the... Uh, the activists are really unhappy about. Here is that story from WSPA. Some Clemson University students are calling for action from administrators to protect LGBTQ students. They voiced their concerns today at the Take Back Pride March. 7 News' Chloe Salsameda has more. The organizers of this march say their main message is that they want LGBTQ students here at Clemson to feel safe. Marching through Clemson University's campus, students call for change. Students are still not safe on campus. They still experience harassment, hate, all of those things. If anything, the university needs to step up, needs to protect its students. Students held the third Take Back Pride March Wednesday, advocating for equality, inclusion, and protection. The university has been pretty silent. They haven't released any statements regarding transphobia or homophobia seen on campus, and we would love for them to uh, make a statement to really give their support to their queer students. The march comes amid tensions between LGBTQ students and the Clemson College Republicans. Now, we're going to get into the, the rub, the LGBTQIA, uh, other letters and numbers. We're going to get into the conflict they had with the local college Republicans chapter. Who They were the ones who uh, made, a, made a point about the men's bathroom having tampons in them. So, uh, two, 
even here in local news, do you get that first minute here? There's zero skepticism. It's just kind of the baked-in assumption is these people are right. They just want inclusion. That's what they're looking for. Last month, the Clemson College Republicans called for tampon and sanitary product dispensers to be removed from a men's bathroom on campus. Men are men, women are women. Of course, men cannot menstruate. So, of course, we spoke out against that. Of course, these people think the opposite, and that's why they're out here protesting us. The dispensers were reportedly vandalized and removed from the bathroom within days. Very quickly, those were ripped out. We want those reinstated, and we would love if they could be expanded across campus. Some LGBTQ students are now asking the university to take action against the Clemson College Republicans. We demand formal repercussions towards the Clemson College Republicans. We have simply stood up for biological reality and they reject what we believe and so they want us to get removed from campus. They're also requesting that the university's non-discrimination and anti-harassment policy be changed. So we want to include gender expression under the Student Code of Conduct as a protected group. We want to be heard and we don't accept anything less than that. In Clemson, Chloe Salsameda, 70. So I've played that for you for two reasons. One, I, I, I've been saying be ready when things fall apart. Can you see that that's that level of madness? That is in part the world falling apart. And here is this college Republican. I don't know if he's a believer or not. Just there to say the thing that's true that needs to be said out loud. Men don't menstruate. Does it matter that you think so? It doesn't matter that that's your ideological uh, bent. You're wrong. Men don't menstruate. That's incorrect. Let's move on now. Just offering that kind of clarity. This is goes apart with what I was saying last week. Ultimately, reality wins. Falsehood does crumble. The, the, connects to what I was, as I started with, things fall apart. Saying that men and women are interchangeable falls apart. Those marriages haven't worked for these 50 years, and so they're falling apart. Putting sexual content in children's entertainment, it's a, it's a falsehood. It doesn't work. We don't want it, and so Disney suffers. You can't have people living 30 years on the government dole, so Social Security just falls apart. It just It's not going to work. Falsehood can't work. You can't fill your hours in the education system on social engineering instead of math, reading, and writing, and learning the, the classics of literature. You can't do those things. It will fall. It will collapse, including here, I'm starting to see on the college campuses, this madness we've been in for a little bit, uh, right out of a decade, on the T portion of LGBTism, it's starting to fall apart. There's That's a college campus of 20,000 some odd people at Clemson. They could muster together about 50 people. They all look utterly miserable. They have no traction. The university's administration has no appetite to respond to them. The university finally did respond to WSBA and just said, we respect all of our students and their various opinions. But you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to put tampons in the men's bathroom. They're not going to do that. Because it's crazy. And the falsehood does crumble. Even on that campus, Clemson University campus, that piece of the secular progressive world is getting beaten. They're losing. I saw something of, not similar, but I put, uh, put in the category of the, the, the same genre of story. In the, there's a lawsuit happening right now 
uh, from a, a University of Wyoming, what is it called when it's all girls? It's sorority. The men are fraternities, women's are sororities. That's right. Where it is very clear that a pervert of a student, a male student, decided he was going to be a girl and made no effort, this is from the lawsuit, made no effort to appear like a girl, not that it would matter, made no effort to be feminized, but was caught spying on his sorority sisters, caught doing some sexually explicit things that I won't say. I can say them now because I have a podcast. I'm not on WHRT. I have freedom to be very explicit. But I'll just tell you, if you want to Google it, University of Wyoming had a sorority, some sorority sisters sue this man who was doing very gross things, also walking up to them asking very explicit, sexually explicit questions because it's just girl talk. And Wyoming is reforming who can be in sororities because falsehood crumbles. It doesn't work. And as the narratives, the false narratives of the world fall, that's what I've been saying is we got to be ready to tell some truth. It's happening there at Clemson. It's happening in Wyoming. And I think it's going to continue happening. And everywhere the enemy, that's the devil, everywhere the enemy's narratives crumble, everywhere the enemy's ideas have been triumphant and over time can't sustain themselves, when they crumble, we are there to say, hey, 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 I've got the answers. I've got the answers to life and godliness. Not because I'm brilliant, but because of the scriptures and because what the scriptures reveal about human nature and just how we're wired to work. I have some answers that can lead to human flourishing. I, I, we can all help, not, be, not because we are special but because their systems are going to crumble and we have answers and we need to be ready to give them. So I get that good question from Andy number one, or not, not in priority, but in the person who sent me the question first. Good question. What do I mean when I say the world falls apart? That's all that I mean. So that when we need to know the way, we, we can know that way. We've been talking about that on the show for a while now, that we want to know what it's like to bring God's thinking on laws and how we interact with each other into the real world. We talk of, we've talked quite a bit about there was the fact that there's laws in the Bible about what to do if you get gored by someone else's ox, or that ox does it even more than once, and how to get recompense for that. I doubt that those particular laws, for example, getting gored by an ox, has affected you directly, but maybe the modern-day analog has. I would say that modern-day analog is you getting hurt in a car accident, someone you love getting hurt in a car accident, or maybe getting hurt at work. Listen, I know that those things, car accidents, getting hurt at work, those are serious. The medical bills pile up. You lose wages while you're hurt. And while you're trying to get better, you're trying to navigate a really difficult process of trying to get justice. I know that can be intimidating, but I do not want you to be scared by it. There are people who can help you. The one I want to point you to right now is a personal friend of mine. His name is Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S. You can Google him right now. It's Samuel Harms, as in stay out of harm's way. Reach him at 864-666-6666, Samuel Harms, attorney at law. These things really can be intimidating. I've seen them hurt people that I know, so don't do it alone. Get in touch with Samuel Harms. He's at 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. His number is 666-6666. If you have been gored by the modern-day ox that is hurt in a car accident or hurt at work, give Samuel Harms a call. Here's... I think the final story of the day. By the way, if you have comments, you want to ask questions like uh, these gentlemen. You know, I actually have two more stories. If you want to get in touch, it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I guess threads as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. 
You can also email the show as these two guys did at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. The first Andy, I did not know. The second Andy, I do know. He's a brilliant young man who I am glad the Lord has called to ministry. Preached once at Beechwood Church when he was a homiletic student over at North Greenville University. He's down to Low Country now doing ministry. He wrote me this question titled, Theonomy and Islam. Corey, I have been listening to your shows and hearing about your new theonomy viewpoints. If we take theonomy, that's making the Lord's laws into modern-day equivalents, and post-millennial eschatology, so my thinking that things are going to get better, that Christ will rule, if we bring those, theonomy and post-millennialism, to their natural conclusions, that will entail conflict with Islam, as Islam continues to grow at incredible rates. If that conflict becomes physical rather than simply ideological, how does that correspond to Jesus' commands of love and peace? Thanks. Good question. One, uh, let's take your direct question and then a broader implication. Well, if Islam, which is growing at incredible rates, starts to interact with theonomic Christianity, that the, the church is growing at a place that Islam is growing, and they come into conflict, one thing the Christian and the church will not do is ever instigate violence. We are not those people. We are commanded to love our enemy, and the Muslim is someone to lit someone to win to Christ or someone to convert. They're not someone to hurt. When the individual Muslim does damage to another Christian, then we seek, well, we defend ourselves if they're trying to be murderous. That's definitely one. But two, we actually seek the, the government to do its job to reward evil. Sorry, <laughs> wrong. To reward good, to punish evil. So if there is physical damage done, we take that to the government. And then also, if Islam or an Islamic government is aggressive, then it is not the church's or individual Christian's responsibility to take up arms, but governments must defend their citizens. So, if a highly Christianized people is is attacked by a, a highly Islamic government, then that government must have just war, must, must would need to compete in that war or interact in that war in a just way, in a, in a biblical way, uh, without any animosity in the Christian's heart towards towards the enemy. We're just defending our homeland, defending our family. So in that case, it ends up being state actors, government actors, and yeah, we still love our enemy, uh, but we we also love our families. And you have to defend your families. Governments are called to, call, called to wield the sword in those situations. So if that happens, then yeah, there there could be there will be conflicts between governments, but it would never and can it can never be the churches coming together to wage a war or the churches coming together to even have a defensive war. That's not our call. That's a government thing. We're out of it. But two, that made me think more broadly. In the world I'm talking about, a theonomy world where Christianity grows, I thought about little enclaves in the country like Dearborn, Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan is super Muslim. It's one of the reasons, very comically, that the very left-wing school boards up there are having trouble now. They're trying to teach Muslim kids their sexual agenda, and Muslim parents are going, no, you're not doing that. You're not, you're not going to put cartoon oral sex in a book in the library where my son or daughter might grab it. No, you're not doing that. No, you're not bringing a drag queen to, to my kid's school. And Muslim parents are stepping up and causing some real trouble. For the uh, for the school boards up there, but in the situation 
that we're becoming more theonomic. God's law rules and more post-millennial, and there's still Muslims around. I, th- I think that world, not I just think, I don't just think, I think it's th- th- this is the case. There would be people of other religions around. They'd be free. Our institutions would have Christian symbolism, and the norms would be Christian. So the the public spaces would still be more likely, not just more likely, the public spaces in at Christmas would have a nativity, but the public spaces would not, at Ramadan, have Muslim symbols. But there would be Muslims. They would be a neighbor to treat and love like any other neighbor, praying for, working for their conversion, but they would be present in that theonomic post-millennial world. To your direct question, if, that, if, the conflict, if there's a conflict and it becomes physical, the individual Christian has a right to defend themselves, defend their family. If it's national and nation-state, then that's the government's job, to defend its people. I hope that directly answers the question. Uh, Andy, what else did I have there? Anything? No. Oh, yeah, for example, I wrote, I wrote one more note down on this. Uh, Douglas Murray is a public intellectual that is kind of like a cultural Christian in England. Like He's Church of England guy. I don't know if he's a believer, but he holds to the vestiges and the symbols of Christianity. He recently said after this turmoil, that feels like too soft a word, but this situation in Israel, that he he wants to see in Britain, where he lives, if you got something nice to say about Hamas, you're banned. We shut down your free speech. We're not going to stomach it. I don't think that would be our theonomic or post-millennial world. People would be able to say things we disagree with. There, But the the institutional voice would be of Christian values and Christian thinking. So a biblical world, I think, is a free world. It's, just, it's institutions and its symbols, the its milieu is distinctly Christian. Yeah, I have time to do this last one. I like this story. If you have thoughts on anything we've done thus far or what I'm about to do, you can get me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Look for me, Corey Truax. The New York Times is a very interesting story. I'm a subscriber, so I I got to see the whole story. If you're not a subscriber, I believe the story is behind a paywall, but you can Google it. Um, It is, uh, they they called it something like the the politics of moving states or something like that. They They primarily traced two families. They traced the nobles out of Iowa. The two parents in this story say they've got a young girl, a daughter who thinks she's a boy. And they could totally affirm her. They would not say they have a daughter. They would say they have they have a son. And that son, or that, that actual daughter, started getting hormone therapy at 11. That daughter is now uh, 17, if I remember the story correctly, and getting testosterone injections twice a week, uh, or t- excuse me, twice a month. She's under the, what they call gender-affirming care treatments. And recently, their home state of Iowa banned those. And this family, with their daughter, because they want to keep pumping her with testosterone and calling her a, a boy, are moving to Minnesota. So they, they trace their story. It's, it's by the, This is a very long story, by the way. And on the other end, they trace the story of the Huckins family. The Huckins family was in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Born there, grew up there, loved living in Oregon. It, they just say that the crime has gotten so bad of the businesses they owned. They talked about the 
their security systems, all the crime they witness on cameras. Now that Oregon has basically legalized selling a lot of drugs, possessing a lot of drugs, the they make it possible to just open air use drugs in the street with those safe injection sites. They just decided, we're out of here. This is not for us. We're getting out of here. We're going to Oregon. And so they they tell, sorry, they they got out of Oregon and went to Missouri. They tell their stories very compellingly. The New York Times actually does really good work about people moving because of politics. They trace some other stories briefly and talk about other people leaving their home states for various reasons. They talked about one couple that moved out of Tennessee and moved to California because they were in their mid to late 30s thinking about having a baby and for some reason they think that making sure abortion on demand pregnancy could be dangerous and so we need to have abortion on demand close by to us and so they moved from Tennessee to California. I could tell part of it for them was they're saying that this is a dangerous pregnancy because of her age and so they wanted abortion quickly available I guess. But they, that's, they, they made their move. There was uh, another person who was the opposite direction. I think it was f- from California to Texas just because of the taxes. And they, there were other, just, they just thought they didn't fit there anymore. They quote in the story a, a poll from Ipsos, Axios Ipsos, that says 40%. 40% of polled Americans said they are likely in the next decade to move states to more align with their political beliefs. And the story goes on for a long time. Again, it's very long. I think it's 5,000 words. And there's an underlying tone. While they don't ever make a, they never make an out loud judgment, there's an underlying tone that this is also sad. Isn't it also sad that people are moving this way? I'll read you just the end of it. Uh, Mr. Noble, this is the guy who moved his daughter to Minnesota so he could keep giving her testosterone. Uh, Mr. Noble still seems sunned that in, in America in 2023, politics would drive a family to seek refuge across state lines. Quote, I don't quite understand how it got so crazy. End quote. He didn't even know his, if his parents were Democrats or Republicans when he was growing up. His, this story says his son, but it's his daughter, was more concerned with the effect than the cause. Quote from that young girl, it's like we're one country on paper, but we're not really one country. There's an underlying negativity to it. I think I've brought to you stories like this in the past to say, I, I'm not there. I don't think this is too negative. In part because of my overall theme of the, sto- of the show today. If we continue to sort like this, you will see what thrives and you will see what devolves. If Oregon continues to do drug tourism, open-air drug use, open-air drug trade, that's going to be taken care, taken advantage of by the Mexican cartels. It's going to be taken care taken advantage of by all the worst kinds of people, and their state will end up in some kind of collapse. Again, I don't mean crime in the streets and everything burns down. I mean they're going to end up in co- crisis and calamity. If California continues the way that it goes, eventually enough of its wealthy people will finally leave, and they're not going to be able to support all the things that they're doing. And then the opposite, good, wholesome things and and thriving will be happening in Tennessee and Texas, hopefully South Carolina. It'll be a situation where you can do the compare and contrast of what is good for people, what works, and what doesn't. And it's, 
it goes to something I, I said recently on the show. Like the European Union is like 420 some odd million people. The United States is 330 million people. We need a federal government that's more like the European Union government where states can be this way. We can extricate ourselves from one another and you can really see what works and what doesn't. I think that's going to lead to the most flourishing. So while they had that story, well, by they, I mean, the New York Times has that story. It's very negative. I think there can be some long-run positive outcomes to what is, is, yeah, sure, it's a sad reality in some ways, but some short-term sadness or badness can lead to some good outcomes later. All right, that's all I got for you this week. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.